0: Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Listener, do you live on the East Coast? Are you looking for an excuse to travel to the East Coast? Then we hope to join us October 7th and 8th at Dominion Classical School in Sterling, Virginia, for The Face of God, a Circe Regional Conference. The psalmist expressed his intense desire to see God's face, even complaining that God hid his face from him. God told the psalmist to seek his face. The worshiper and the worshiped came together. Seek ye my face, thy face, Lord, will I seek. On the other hand, God told Moses, with whom he spoke face to face, that thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The past couple years have reminded us how important is the human face. We are the image of God. Does masking the face mask that image? Have we lost more than we realize? A baby seeks its mother's eyes even before it seeks to be fed. And no wonder, because a face communicates, accepts and rejects, approves and condemns, welcomes and denies, dances and mourns. Please join us as we reflect with Vegan Gorian, Tracy Lee Simmons, and many more on the face of God, especially in the light of nurturing the souls of our children and students who live in the light or the shadow of our faces. For more information, visit Institute.org backslash Fall 2022. In today's episode, Museums Build and Burnham, Dr. Matthew Bianco and Katerina Kern debate the merits of museums as curators of beauty. Let's listen as they discuss context versus access, democratizing or neutering transcendence, preserving or petrifying the past, and much more.
1: Today we are going to be talking about museums. I'm Katerina, and I'm here with... Matt. And we work for the Circe Institute, where we talk about all things art, music, poetry, literature... Anything of interest really and worth discussing?
2: Paintings? Sculptures? Yes. Or at least the buildings that hold them?
1: Just the buildings that hold them. (laughs) Um, So today we're inviting you to join us on another one of these conversations. Thanks for joining us as we hash out museums. Matt.
2: Katie, Rina, Katerina.
1: What's your experience in museums? Can we start with the personal experiential? Or do you want to start more abstract? Like have I
2: been to them before? (laughs) Yes, I have been to a museum before. Um, I've been to all kinds of museums. I've been to like natural history museums, museums of science and industry. Have you ever been to one of those? They're kind of fun. Um, I'm
1: sorry, I'm just realizing it sounds like you're like a six year old.
2: I've, I've been to the Salvador I've been to the Dali,
1: Dali Museum. museum. <laughs>
2: but I have been to all those things at they're yeah, cool yeah. museums. They
1: are cool, that's awesome. That's
2: cool. But I've been to the Salvador Dali Museum. I've been to the Uffizi in Florence. I've been Uh to the Louvre in Paris. Uh
1: huh.
2: Um, You have to say it like that. Mm -hmm. And I've been to the one in New York City. Um, The
1: Met?
2: Yeah, Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it, I think. Oh, no, I've been to the one in Chicago and whatever. I've been to Mm -hmm. several. So, do
1: you you enjoy visiting museums?
2: Mm -hmm. I do enjoy visiting museums because it's like they're like the only place you can go that has so much. Uh stuff in one place, right? The kind of stuff that museums have, they have so much of it in one place. Whereas if you were trying to encounter like something like that in a church, there's going to be fewer artifacts to observe or in somebody's home, you know, I mean, I'm not friends with any uber wealthy people who are going to have Rembrandts hanging around in their house, you know, but um, if I were, I suspect that they might only have a couple of them, not Mm -hmm. a room full of them. Mm -hmm. I also hate museums because they put all of the art, Mm-hmm. Right, and there's like only certain- cl- uh schools of art or classes of art that I want to see, and I don't want to waste my time with other waste my time with other kinds mm. of art, but then I have to to get through the museum so um mm. I get frustrated with that. And I have another reason for hating museums, but we can come to that later,
1: okay. I'm saving that one later, okay, I think there are some people that would wonder why are we talking about museums, but it is a controversial topic. Both the way they've been treated historically and the public thinking they have a right to view art, like that in of itself is also a little controversial, but then also just the way museums present things. So there's all these different areas that are not as straightforward as they initially sound when you're like, oh, yeah, museums, cool, that's where we're going to learn things. But it's a lot more complicated than that, I think. It's so removed from the original context. We've taken these different pieces of art and then we've structured them. And it's the form in which we lay out that art communicates a message about the art. Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize, we just think we're, uh, we're going and looking at these isolated objects and we're just getting the facts. That's not it at all. The way the museum has laid out and which which pieces they've chosen to put in a given room or how they've chosen to lay it out chronologically or whatever it is, is telling a story in and of itself. Hmm. So we're experiencing something and a way of knowing and a way of entering into something that's very inorganic and artificial, but we're made to think that it's normal.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because we don't know. We don't know what the art would have looked like in any other outside of that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, People from my generation, we talk about, you know, these, these young whippersnapper kids that, uh, they've grown up their whole life with technology, Mm -hmm. like with the phone in in their pocket, right? I mean, it's always, there's always been a smartphone in existence since they've been born, right? Or since they have the memory of it. Mm -hmm. But I can remember a world when that wasn't the case, when computers weren't even in every home, in every home. Um, And... The uh and so I like I can remember a world without it and now living in a world with it, and I can see the differences in that world in ways that maybe a ten year old or a twelve year old can't.
1: Ah, yes.
2: And I wonder I I wonder if there's if there's perhaps a parallel parallel like that for us where we've only ever lived in a world that's had museums and where yeah. the museum is the place you go to for art. Whereas there was a time you know, just a couple hundred years ago, where that when that wasn't the case, and you know, people living in that transitional period, what would art have been like for them when they only ever experienced it in, you know, churches, palaces, and the homes of people's homes, mm-hmm. versus now it's primarily experienced in the museum.
0: Mm-hmm. And then,
2: wow, what if, what what could they see as the differences between those two worlds? You know, yeah. I mean, except you know, some people have the you know, the benefit, I guess, or the pleasure or the privilege of having seen art, you know, still in a context like at a church or whatever. But yeah. most of the time when we encounter like the art that, that we study, you know, that that um, that art is almost always and an only ever experienced in that kind of um, sterilized, well, it's not sterilized because it's still communicating something, but it's, it's an abstracted setting. It's a... Um, decontextualized setting mm-hmm. and then it's creating a false con- or a, a new kind of context for it mm-hmm. by by the layout and everything that you were saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: And I wonder, I wonder if that might be why works like the Peta, the Peta, sorry, are so famous still and so loved because in order to see it, you do have to go back to the Vatican and see it in its niche. You have to mm-hmm. experience it in its proper place unless you're looking at a copy, but the original is still located within the church Apps is it called an apps in a Catholic church on the side, That's the side here. altars, um, so you have to stumble upon it in the right way, in the way that my should designed for it to be stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. And there's something really important about that.
2: Whereas the Mona Lisa, you just follow the signs telling you turn here, go here, turn here. Right, here.
1: the Mona Lisa is horrifying. Like the way that the way that the Louvre has structured it. I mean, you've seen, like you walk into the room and it's just right there kind of front and center on this huge white wall. So there's this giant white wall and this little painting and a whole crowd of people all around it. And it feels so forced, so artificial, so removed from any context of what it's actually designed for. It's this weird disembodied experience that we're so accustomed to in our culture that it doesn't disturb us anymore. Mm -hmm. But I really think that it's disturbing. Right.
2: I think so too. I I think... um... I think there's a, uh, a, a well. What do you? What if? What if I described art as sacramental? What would that mean to you? What
1: would that mean to me? Yeah. Sacramental or
2: art as sacramental? Like if I said art is sacramental, what would that mean to you? Like, would you agree with it, and or and how how would you how would understand I mean it, it to agree with? Well,
1: I would wonder if you were saying it in the way that I would be that I would mean it if I were to say it. So I'm not sure if we would, I think that I, I would say that as well. And I don't know if we would mean the same thing or not. Um, well, but for me, You put yourself on
2: the line first. You okay, tell me what your uh, Then I'll decide if I agree with you or not.
1: We can do it that way. Um, I think art is sacramental in, in so much as art reveals the kingdom of heaven on earth. So it's where, it's where the physical material world is shown for what it truly is and what it truly is is a participation in the kingdom of heaven so we move beyond the physical and into the true the real which is the kingdom of heaven and that transforms the physical material without overwhelming it or overpowering it so it's like if if magic destroys sacrament enlivens
2: Mm. okay so that's good i like that because I like that even better than mine, but I'm gonna stick with mine for now. Okay, what's um, yours? Because mine's basically the same thing, except I guess I just broadened it a little bit more, right? Like, like rather than rather than identifying the sacramental with the kingdom of God specifically, I just I, I was just gonna identify it with this the spiritual realm. So. Okay. Which is not, I mean, we're not disagreeing, but yeah. yours is obviously named better than mine. Um, so in the sense that art somehow takes us out of ourselves in our ordinary kind of physical material circumstances and brings us up to this kind of spiritual realm of the transcendent, of the true, the good, the beautiful. and um, And it doesn't just... Like I think it would be I think it would be a misunderstanding of art to say that oh this painting is beautiful therefore I've had an experience with with the metaphysical property of beauty right it's it's not just that I see something beautiful when I view art but that the art being sacramental art art itself causes me to transcend myself and experience beauty in the spiritual realm.
1: Okay.
2: If that I, I mean, I'm probably saying it weirdly, but
1: no, that makes sense. With um, you.
2: So it's like it's like it's not just the, the seeing something beautiful, but it's 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 experiencing something outside of the, the material realm in the spiritual realm, right? That is beautiful. So the experience itself is beautiful. As I'm experiencing the example of beauty, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or the true, or the good, or whatever it is, right?
1: Like encountering the transcendent, so mm-hmm.
2: okay, mm-hmm. okay. Like the, the encounter itself is transcending, yeah. Is transcendent, transcendental, and then mm-hmm. the thing itself is transcendent. It transcendent, right? As it insofar as it embodies the truth, the, better, the beautiful, right? Right. So, I, I I think I think one of the things that is um, frustrating for me about museums is that I think in some way it neutralizes that it it it. Um I maybe mean, this is why I want to use the word sterile earlier mm-hmm. but it because it because it abstracts the thing from its original context right it's like there's this there's this neutralizing effect where i i'm experiencing it as an artifact in a museum rather than as this transcendent exemplar of beauty mm-hmm. and then my ability yeah. to have a transcendent experience is is um if not outright prohibited it's at least minimized you know it's work, it's working against me being able to have that I, I think okay i'll tell a story about an an example of experience okay. that i had in a in a in a church um so i was at this cathedral in um trier germany i i say trier but i think they actually pronounced trier I mean, okay. Do whatever, right? Okay. Um, but anyways, I just that's for my ger- our German audience. I want them to know that I know yeah, how to pronounce right. it, You know, that's important. Um, so Trier, yeah. Germany, the American way. Um, so I'm at this cathedral, and the cathedral was set up so that you have like the main, um, the nave, and the altar area, right, the sanctuary area. Mm-hmm. So this is where all the, the people are sitting in the worship, and the priest is up there doing his thing. And then off to the side, there was some more stuff, but then in the back right-hand corner from the front doors, in the back right-hand corner, there was this um, area that had been kind of sealed off, not sealed off, but like enclosed and um, a little walkway. And then you go up there and you purchase a little ticket and then you go into this museum area Uh of the church, right? So there's this section of the church that is itself kind of set apart or set aside and turned into a museum.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you go in there, and there are all of these religious artifacts and, and artwork,
1: mm. right? Ouch.
2: So I'm going in there, and I'm experiencing this, um, I'm experiencing these things, but they're on display in a museum setting,
1: yep.
2: right? It's, I mean, it doesn't look anything like the church now. The walls are all white and plain, and there's just stuff hanging there or setting there, right, on the shelves. Yeah and um and one of the things that was on display was this um was was a uh, a, a sandal that was presented as this is the sandal that Andrew the apostle wore huh. so I've, I'm looking at this you know what in the in the Catholic and the Orthodox world you know we refer to as a relic right and it, it has spiritual significance I'm so looking at this spiritually significant display of the 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 sandal of Saint Andrew. And I'm seeing this and I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is really cool. Like this is Andrew, the apostle, his sandal right here, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: And not only that, but I know a bunch of Andrews. Right. Yeah. Like my son is an Andrew. Your dad is an Andrew. Um, you know, I have other friends that are named Andrew. I have lots of friends and almost all of them are named Andrew. <laughs> so many friends named Andrew. There's a lot of Andrews. Um, and so in that moment, I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. I want to pray for all of the Andrews that I yeah. know. Right. And so I and so I do that and I pray for all of the the Andrews that I know. Just, you know, brief kind of quick prayer. And then I move on to the next artifact. And, and in, I mean, like so in that one brief moment, I felt like. I felt like this, this small compulsion to pray for the Anders mm-hmm. because I'm seeing this thing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm having a tiny transcendental experience with it. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I'm done praying, it's over and it's time for me to move on to the next thing. And I do. And mm-hmm. I go look at the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Then I go back out into the church and, um, I'm probably not describing the geography of this room very well, but it was kind of like you come back out and then where the, where the altar was, there was like this kind of level up over it where there was more, There's another thing on display up here. So hmm. but this is above and behind the altar. So you're still in the church. You're still in the main part of the nave and the altar and sanctuary hmm. and all this, this um in there. So you're still, you still feel like you're in the church. You're no longer in a room with white walls and a ticket taker. You know, mm-hmm. you're in the church, and they go over there, and they have on display um, what they what they are identifying as the robe of Christ, like the one that the that the guards cast lots for. So the untorn, you know, un okay. robe of Christ
1: okay. that he
2: was wearing at the crucifixion.
1: Yeah,
2: and I go there and suddenly it's a completely different experience. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed to the point where I feel, I feel like utterly compelled to get on my knees and pray Mm -hmm. and pray for like the, 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 the union of the church, you know, the church and, 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 you know, all of our Christian brothers and sisters that are, um, you know, separated by doctrine and, and, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. different things. Right. I'm just, and just, praying for that. And then, um, and I, and I'm there much longer than I was probably in the whole museum uh-huh. up to that point. Right. Yeah. And then I get out of that, I come out of that pose, right. That kneeling, cause they had a little kneelers there, you know, and I get out of the kneeling pose and I walk away and, you know, of course the thoughts pop into my head. Like, is that really the robe? Like, is it right? You know, who else says they have that robe? Right. Yeah. But, it, but, it, but, it, but at the same time, it was like so, somehow it didn't matter. Right. Like what, like I still had the experience that I had and I still felt this compulsion to pray. And I still felt like even after, as I was walking away, I just felt this kind of, um, uh, this kind of, I don't know, like a a compulsion just to continue being in prayer about it. Mm -hmm. And I just continuing to contemplate what I had, what I had seen and what I experienced. And, and the only difference you know, at this point that I can recognize is that the sandal of Andrew of St. Andrew was in a museum setting and the robe of Christ was in a church setting. Mm -hmm. And I had two very different experiences. I had, I mean, there was enough, like I brought enough of, of my own like theological beliefs to the museum that I was able to have some sort of experience with it. Right. Like I still wanted to pray. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was not anywhere near like the experience that I had when I saw this, when I saw a similar object in the church. Right, you know? right. So I that, I guess that's kind of, I mean, that was an extended story, but um, I don't know, I guess that's kind of me trying to figure out, like, to what extent is the museum neutralizing our abilities to have that. Like I and I can and I'm sure that there are people, yourself included and anybody watching, who would say, no no no, I've been in a museum, I've stood in front of a painting and been overwhelmed by its beauty. Mm -hmm. So is that am I wrong? Is it just people are different and we experience things differently or
1: Mm. what a great question. Okay, so there's multiple facets to this. One, I think what you're saying for for a, a museum curator, they would say that's precisely what they're shooting for, is that they're trying to create an atmosphere where the object can speak for itself and it's not there aren't all these other variables at play. Mm. That's like what they're attempting to do. But they they're not able to do it, I would argue. They can't succeed at that. Because the moment you put two objects together Unless there's unless the, the museum yeah unless the, the museum creative. literally had only one object in it mm-hmm. then they're failing because the moment you put two objects in a room they're contextualizing each other mm-hmm. but they would say that that's what they were trying to create that illusion with the shoe they were trying to remove the associations that the building that the the context of the priest and all those things would imbue upon the objects so they might say that's success. And we could argue about whether or not that is success and whether that's an end they should be trying to attain. But I think a curator would say that, at least in a museum where the walls are white, which isn't all museums, but most, that that's the end game. Um, But the question that you asked was a lot more interesting about what about for the people that do experience great emotion and are overcome by beauty in the context of a museum? I have found, for me, and when I've watched other people in museums, I actually did a museum studies program for my master's, so I observed for long hours, like long hours, people going through museums, so I could see how they interact with them. Um, and for me, and in my studies-
2: Followed with a notebook?
1: Like- yes, it was creepy weird. I had like light, um, long extended photos where I could see how long people stayed at places based on how bright like they attract them with lights and stuff. Huh. There's, yeah, it was, I did, I did a lot. Um, but what, what I noticed is that the most, for me and for other people, when you have the most transcendent moment, it's when you only look at a few things that whole day. Like for me, if I'm going to like the Ashmolean, which was always really available to me when I was in university. So I would just go, I would plan on looking at two or three paintings in a day. And I would spend... 30 minutes to an hour with one painting, mm-hmm. because that was the only way I could do it and actually experience the painting. Anything else was just not experiencing the artwork. But, but I knew I had to compensate for, what is, is there a word in English for this where you have so much of a good thing that it becomes nothing? Um, like with information and, I mean, it's kind of like ubiquitous, but not really. Like we've done, our culture has done with information and objects and all things really, what the glutton does with food, mm. where you have so much cake you just can't stand it anymore. Like museums, going to museums and looking at all the paintings, it's like online dating, right? Like you just get these constant, this constant barrage of images, and we have this illusion, right. this this illusion of. Um, of much, I don't, I, I don't know, is there one word in English for this?
2: Is, is there a word in another language that you know for it? No. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, not that I know, I mean, information overload, or? I mean,
1: yeah, I guess that's, but that just means like overload. you're, but both of those aren't like, quite the same. Right, right. Like, we were so greedy with with access. We're greedy for access to all things. Yeah. And I wonder if that stems partly from where museums arose in the first place. I mean, unless you're looking at church museums like the Vatican, the first museum was really, um, oh gosh, I was, the V just threw me out. Versailles, the Palace of Versailles. In the French Revolution, when they kicked out the king, and then they just said, "Okay, everything that was once aristocracy is now now belongs to the people," and that meant the art and the culture had to be made available to the whole public. So there was this like association with um, possession and status and and really greed. I mean, it ended up not actually being a public museum for like maybe 20 or 30 years after they had done that, but that's the the, the beginnings of the museum outside of the, muse- the um, sorry, the church setting. And then it was universities, which were of course very blended with the churches, but in the universities, it was mostly these large collectors who would just donate their whole collection towards the beginning of the 20th century.
2: A, a couple of months ago, I read a story that was, uh just, there was a brief like history of the Louvre, or the, or the history of the, the beginning of the Louvre, and in there they said that um, after the revolution, the French assembly had, well, the people were, were clamoring, we need to destroy this stuff, mm-hmm. because everything is a reminder of the aristocracy, the monarchy, the royal family, or the church, all of which were institutions that they were done with, right? with I mean, that's what the revolution was yeah. done with, right? yeah. And that, in the um, so so when they made when they when they started crying out for this, the French Assembly uh, passed a decree basically saying, "Yep, we're going to destroy all of this art." And then some other Frenchman came along and said, "No, no, no, I have an idea. Let's just turn the palace into a museum, uh-huh. which is now the Louvre. Uh-huh. And um, I don't know if he said it exactly this way, but in the the book I was reading, they described it as. As, as if he understood that by doing this, we would be neutralizing the art so that the art would no longer be, um, the, the, the art would no longer be something that presents to me this higher ideal, whether it's the higher ideal represented by the monarch Royal family or the church, whatever. Uh-huh. Like all of that would be done away with. There'd be nothing in it calling me up, pulling me up toward this ideal type uh-huh. as it's embodied here. But rather, it would be this thing that I would just come and study. I would just come and observe. I would just come and say, "Look, I've seen that." Check. Yeah. Right, and then that's what. Um, that so that's what they were doing in France, um, but because they, to because they were wanting to, they, it, the other alternative was to destroy it. So this French guy came up with the idea of like, look, you guys can destroy it or I can neutralize it. In effect, destroying it? Except it somehow stays alive as a carcass? I don't know.
1: Right, because that's the thing about all art. You have to be initiated. You have to be taught how to read it. But we've completely, we're trying to do the opposite. The structure of our museums are built upon the presuppositions that if we just put a white wall and we let the art stand for itself, then we can come as the individual and experience that work of art. And that's fine if it's, like post twentieth century art, where it was built upon the presuppositions that it's just the artist expressing himself and then the viewer receiving the emotions of the of the artist if that's right if that's what art is, then yes that it is adequate to make it isolated on a white wall, but art before that before it was just expressing yourself was a language unto itself, and there was always those who were initiated. And they had to be taught how to read and how to interact with the art. So that means both how to posture yourself before it, how to be in a room with it, um, and how to interpret the signs and the symbols within that, that work of art or the symbols within the work of art. In, so, in the
2: same way that we have to do with books. Right? Yeah. Both sides of that coin are important, right? I have to know how to interpret the signs and symbols on the page. Not just, not just D-O-G means dog, but... What does dog mean, right? Yeah. And what does a dog represent in all of its contexts, including Aesop's fables, whatever, right? But then also, so interpreting the signs and symbols, but then also, also having a particular posture toward it when I'm reading it, yeah. Right? So that I'm yeah. submitting, in some sense, to what the what the story is communicating. I'm asking the right questions, and and I'm able to um, to receive to receive it and to understand it, to be moved by it. That I mean, depending on the the Literature, it it too is sacramental in that sense of can be sacramental mm-hmm. in that sense of drawing me out of myself, which is what the you know what we are describing with the art and what this French guy appears to realize that was what was causing the problem for the revolutionaries mm-hmm. and so he puts it in a setting where that goes away and now the revolutionaries can live with it mm-hmm. and and as, as I don't know the Russian Revolution as well but my understanding is that they actually looked to France, saw what French the French did with their artwork, and then they imitated it.
1: Hmm. And they
2: created museums in Russia to do the same thing, to, to um, hmm. neutralize the the artwork, as it were.
1: Interesting. Because it was the opposite in England, which makes sense, because there were different things happening in England at the time. But the first museums in England were mostly ethnographic museums, where they were trying to lay out different civilizations, kind of, so you'd walk through the museum and see basically human evolution. So, I mean, that's oh, really? what they, yeah, that's what they, that's how they viewed it. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree at all, but what they would, they would go to Africa and take what they considered to be primitive objects. And then they would display them and show how, like the end would be what they had in Britain and it would just be walk through and see how. And Britain's always
2: at the end in every single. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it was really horrifying. And so they were trying to, they were trying to map human evolution through their objects, through what they've created So it's kind of the opposite where instead of taking these isolated pieces and viewing them alone and trying to see what they mean for them in and of themselves, they're creating a whole narrative just by putting objects next to each other. But that's coming back to what I was saying, where as Mm -hmm. soon as you have two objects and you put them beside each other, you're telling a story. You don't get to put 10 objects in a room and think that they're not telling a story. They just but they are. knew they were
2: telling a story. They
1: knew they in the, were in
2: the British Museum. Yes,
1: and they were yes. doing it intentionally. Yeah, it's
2: interesting. Yeah, I, I I didn't know I I didn't know what you meant by ethnographic. So at first I was thinking, oh, this is you mean they they stole art from Athens, these marbles from Athens, and oh. then they put them in there like the know, British best, Museum. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking, That's what I was thinking. Like they just took. It was a place to collect all the art that they had gathered from around the world. But it's even more than that, right? It's this telling of this story. So, okay,
1: interesting. So I can understand why now we're reacting against that narrative and trying to make them isolated pieces, but you can't go either way, I think. You can't have one object on a white wall and expect it to be sacramental and transcendent without any context and without any initiation of the viewer into the work of art, I think. Um, Although that's a controversial statement. And you can't also go the other way, where you're trying to so explicitly tell a story and a specific narrative that the viewer can only perceive this one thing that you want to mm. to use these artifacts to tell, because that's an abuse on the artifacts. Each individual artifact has a million different ideas and different ways that it can be interacted with. And when you place it in that very defined narrative, you're, you're abusing the artifact and limiting it so fully to one Outside narrative that you decided to impose upon it—that
2: hmm. that wasn't even—it had nothing to do with its original.
1: No, I mean its original
2: context or purpose or
1: right. Well, design. a lot of the objects were probably like tools. Like most of them were musical instruments or weapons of war or things for cooking. So they—they hmm. they would just. some well, some of them were religious as well, and then it's even more horrifying. What how we treat. Religious objects, but that goes back to what you're saying about the shoe—is you could sense that there was a spiritual meaning to it, but that's because of your presuppositions that you came to the shoe with. Otherwise, it would have been impossible for you to have that experience. Possibly, I mean, maybe right,
2: unless the shoe was in the church. Yeah. Then it. Then there's a context there that that at, at least at least creates the, the space for the possibility of a, of that kind of experience without yeah. me having brought it, um, perhaps. Right. But, but once it's in that, once it's in that museum space, then the only reason I had the experience I have this because of what I brought to the table. Right. Right?
1: right. Which is horrifying. If you think of the artists who are creating the works of art that are now on the walls of the museum, like the Uffizi, like, they, were, they would have gone to the room that they were going to, that that painting or fresco would have been placed in. Well, the fresco would have been done in the room. Um, they would have made sure that it fit the space. They would have made sure that it fit the audience. They would have catered that piece to a specific time and space and designed it intentionally for that. So they would be absolutely horrified to think that it's now going to be just placed in some random context that we've determined, although it's not, right? That's the museum curator's job is to find a way to, to put each work in a right place that's going to fit its nature, but then also tell whatever story it is that they want to tell. And now museum curators are really um, upfront about it and just tell you what they're doing. Hmm. Which at least they're honest about it now.
2: <coughs> right. No, that's true. That's, that is a good thing. Do you think museums are worth it?
1: I do. I love museums. I love and I hate them.
2: It's both. Did you love out ride your hate?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Is like, it, for me, like, if I go to a city, would I still go to the museums? Is that what you're No, I thing? mean,
2: if if you could just snap your fingers and we go back to a world with no museums and all of those artifacts are in in some sort of appropriate context, churches, houses, homes, government buildings, whatever
1: assuming a virtuous world yes because in a virtuous world there'd be hospitality and people would be able to still see them the problem is there was a need to break down those barriers and give the public access to them like we created a world where they needed to do that and that's really horrifying like I don't I don't know if it's but we it might created be the, a
2: world where we need to do that, like. We created a world that needed the French Revolution, or...
1: Yeah, well, we created a world where the, uh, the where art was so reserved to the aristocracy that in order to access beautiful things, you had to be either in one of the top elite universities in the world, or you had to be... You, you could go to church for some of it, but only if you were near a cathedral. Otherwise, you were going to see, you know, simple icons and things like that, but not like great works of art um or you could have access to of course there were large landowners who would open up their homes to visitors but you had to have permission i mean there's there was some extent to which there was hospitality offered to the poor but it was so limited <coughs> that it's i wouldn't want to return to a world where the poor really didn't have access to true good and beautiful things. But I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if we need to just have a lot more restrictions on museums and give churches more of a right to have the artwork. Maybe we can return the artwork as much as possible to their homes if it's a church or if it's like a plantation or not a plantation, but, um, oh gosh, what's the word for the big houses in England? Anyway, Castles. the big houses in England.
2: Castles? No. I mean, like the
1: <laughs> like, Mr. like Darcy's Abbey, home. Abbey, uh, Downton Abbey type.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mr. Darcy's home. Um, um, your example is better than
1: mine. Right, like Elizabeth goes to his home to see the art. Like that was right. commonly practiced in the Victorian, early Victorian era. Um, so, if if there was a way for us to return things to their original context so that people could truly experience them in the context, it would be far better than what we're doing with museums. However, I don't, I think that's far too ideal, idealistic. I don't think that's possible. And I don't think that it would be better than the benefits we get with things like science museums or history museums, or, I don't know, maybe this is specific to art museums. Right. Um, but even like traveling exhibitions, like the ability to see a Van Gogh exhibit because it's coming to your hometown. I don't know. I think it might be the, the lesser of two evils, even though I think there's a big problem with museums, and I think that we need to not just accept them with open arms and just assume that they're all great. I think we need to use our discernment when it comes to museums, but I don't know that I would wave my wand and remove them. Would you? I would. Okay, I Hi. think so.
2: Um, I think... Oh, God, I don't... I don't know. Um, I wish I would have thought of this before we sat down. <laughs> I think that we
1: are thinking on the fly.
2: Sorry. <laughs> okay. So I think, I think in a, in a world with museums, it's, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's actually that different in the long run than what it was like before in that. You know, I, I had to be near a cathedral to see the heart. Well, now I have to be near a city big enough to have a museum to see the heart, which is not okay. quite as big as a city with a cathedral. But okay. I mean, you know, cities that have museums are a little bit more, little bit more um, readily available than cities with cathedrals. I'll grant that, but I don't know that they're that much more. And then, um, and then the other, mm-hmm. the other part of it is that, you know, ideally these things would would be in. Would be in the possession of the people they belong to, right? Right. So you know the the um, the marbles would be returned to Athens, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, surely we're pad, Like, when are they going to go back? <laughs> How uh, are they still in England? I think they're working on returning them though. Greece sued for them like four years ago. Right. Right. So I don't. I don't.
2: But I don't yeah, I don't look, I mean, but, so then on. I can I can only see that. I can only see that if I'm in the city that they're um. in. Right, um, and so then I have to go to Well, now I have to go to London, right? But then I'd have to go to Athens, um, and then there's so many things in, you know, say the 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 Met in New York City, or or the Smithsonian, or the um, the museum in London, whatever the British Museum. There's things there from all over the world that would, should all be returned to their to their original. Mm-hmm. Or countries of origin, right? Mm-hmm. So then, I can really only see Greek things in Greece. I can really only mm-hmm. see Roman things in Rome. I can really only see African things in Africa, um, and the uh, so then I'm 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 even in a world with museums, I'm still going to be limited by that by that 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 fact, right? The the thing is, of course, in the modern world, you do get those things being. But. Shared, right? But my guess is that my my guess is that much of that art is being shared with the museum already because it's not owned by most of it's not owned by the museums. All right, I shouldn't say most because I actually have no idea what the percentage is. But, anyways, a high quantity of the the art is on display in the museum because it was being loaned. I suspect that if there were no museums and all of that art was on display in homes and in mm-hmm. and in churches and stuff that those families would still loan it and they would still kind of share it around. Uh, um, so like the, you yeah. know, the family that owns the, whatever the Salvador Dali collection could still, the family could, well, I, don't, I don't know who owns that actually. It might be the museum. I don't know, but anyways, whatever um, the family that owns a particular collection of artwork from a particular artist could still send that around to other cities to be displayed mm-hmm. either in the homes of some people who are, who had the hospitality to, to do it or or in in a church or whatever, right? So I, I don't know, I just assume that that would still be the case even today.
1: People we would, would just, just do over- it through a different
2: system other than the museums. But it would be a contextualized system.
1: And people would be fine with every day strangers coming into their home to see artwork? I
2: don't know, Mr. Darcy was. Maybe not every Wasn't day. Not that but often. Like, yeah but I mean it would be every day for like what, a month? Six weeks? Two months? They would I mean they would probably make deals like that. Charge a little charge a little a
1: little but fee. that's the thing right they're charging admissions yes. fees in most countries in the world museums are free it's only really America where you have to pay to go to an art what? museum I just don't I don't think the world is as good as you're saying like I don't I don't think that it would that people would actually open up their homes and that we'd not lose everything I mean museums are also preserving art to such a great extent I mean
2: well there is so that so
1: much would be lost
2: there is that I you know <laughs> The thing is, okay, I, that's probably the most important contribution that that the museum industry makes. Industry, big big museum makes mm-hmm. the the biggest contribution that big museum makes to the world is that they that they extend the life of these artifacts yeah. with their care. <laughs> um, otherwise, I, I guess what I, I guess I, if I had to put it on a scale, okay. I would say. But the number of people, as small as it would be, the number of people who would have a transcendent experience in, with art that is in contextualized locations like homes and churches.
1: Kay.
2: Versus the number of people who have these non-transcendent experiences with museum, with artwork in museums. It's, this is more, this is be, like the, the, the world needs more people having genuine full-fledged transcendent experiences with
1: yeah. art, Yeah.
2: and I don't think we get enough of that when they're in museums, yeah. and I, that, that is so sad to me that I would right. rather half the world's population of people who get to see go to museums stop getting to go to museums, if the other half could still have these transcendent experiences. Well, I just
1: created an the elite, problem, eliteism. yeah, the problem is, are those other half the rich half, the privileged half? What half are we allowing to have transcendent experiences, and what half are we precluding the opportunity from?
2: Wait, but so wait, so, so no half should have them, because we don't like the half that would have them.
1: No, I think that there might be some more room for discretion. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Maybe sacred objects should be returned to churches. I think it's very easy to argue get sacred objects out of a secular place.
2: When I walked into the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City and I saw a um, reliquary on display with a relic in it. (laughs) Or when I saw the um, when I saw an ancient um, the the. The stamp that they use when they're baking the bread for communion, there's a they had a stamp of that, you know, the stamp that goes puts the mark into the bread for communion. Um, they had one of those, an ancient one of those, on display, and it was upside down and backwards <gasps> because they had no idea what it was.
1: Did you tell them?
2: No. What <laughs> did you tell who?
1: The curator. The
2: little guard standing over there watching. No, you have go go the and front desk say, "I'd
1: like to talk to the curator." I did not. Call them. <laughs> they need to know. I'm against <laughs> Wow. I okay, all that to say, I agree with you on that. The the this these sacred objects. It's it's a desecration, I think I'd go so far as to say, to take these sacred objects and to put them in a museum. No, you could argue, well what about like the Vatican Museum? Let's talk in extremes for now and deal with that nuance later. But Maybe there's a space for art. I'm, I'm not sure which art, maybe like Impressionism. Let's think about the, the, the example I gave earlier was Van Gogh because that's kind of an easy one to jump to. Um, maybe there's space for you know a room with five Van Goghs and you go in and you experience them for what they are and it doesn't gut them to have them in a, in a museum setting.
2: Well, <clears throat> okay, so if art is sacramental, then the distinction between sacred and non-sacred gets a little bit wonkier. Yeah, because, yeah, um, true. Because it has this kind of sac- this sacramental quality. So I don't know that that's as clean and clear-cut as a, dis- a distinction, but... There is art that is not actually sacramental. Duchamp? <laughs> um, I don't know that one, so maybe, probably I trust you, I don't know.
1: He did the toilet!
2: Oh yeah, that's a, yes, exactly, right? <laughs> but we can have museums for that guy, um, we can have museums for, I didn't. I didn't want to name any of it earlier, but for the ones that I don't like, like where I only want to go to the first couple of rooms in a museum and then I don't care about the rest of the room. So
1: like that whole abject phase? I don't
2: know what that
1: is. In means. like the 70s? Oh, when they were making art out of like human excretion. Yeah, human that would be, you put that kinds. in a museum all
2: you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's like a couple of rooms where it's like, you know, the, the ancient, and like from the ancients to the medievals, right? Then there's like, and the renaissance, right? Then I So wanna, the
1: elite are- start.
2: I, uh, the ancient world? I guess it would be, I mean, maybe. I sure. would, it's the
1: stuff that's accused of being. I lawyer.
2: only like art made by men. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> and I want that art to be in churches <laughs> and in homes. All of the other art made by women and 21st century people, that can be in museums. Okay. Yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's what you're saying. 20th and 21st century.
1: That's, that's not going to be the clip on this video. I hope not. <laughs> I yeah, really hope not. Because
2: I don't actually believe that. Yeah,
1: no, that's problematic.
2: <laughs> but but, but uh, to, to, to the point, though, like, the reality is there are things that our generation calls art that I would not call art, but yeah. they call it art. Yeah. And, um, and it doesn't really have that kind of sacramental value. Like, like it's really intended to be more, um, I mean, best case scenario, it's, it's, it's kind of introspective, like to make me introspective, to think about myself in light of this thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not to draw me out of myself to something heavenly, but it's to turn me into myself or to turn me in towards my society, the society, the culture, the mm-hmm. community, and then and then there's some sort of commentary being made on on the community, right of society. um, so it's all like at this level. In so far as the art, the, whatever art that that's out there that fits into that criteria, like that category of art mm-hmm. that is doing that, it's either, it, it, it's at this level, right? That stuff, I, I would be okay with museums. The levels. earthly level. That.
1: That's mm-hmm. what you mean by this, the earthly level. Yeah, right, earthly right. Level. Okay.
2: Yeah, the internal or the cultural commentary. Okay. But anything that goes above that, anything that pulls us up out of ourselves should be in a proper okay. space.
1: I think I agree with you.
2: So, but, but, but this stuff can still be beautiful.
1: Yes. It's okay.
2: harder. <laughs> it's harder, right? Uh-huh. But it can still be beautiful, right? So people can go to museums and experience beautiful things.
1: Okay. So then how do you know if it's sacramental or just beautiful? Take a Van Gogh. Oh God. Is it sacramental or just beautiful?
2: Um, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I've never had a sacramental experience with Van Gogh. But I could see it's po- it seems possible to me.
1: So your personal experience is what That's all I got
2: me. at this point. No, but that's all I got at this point.
1: But if that, I mean, just technically, if that's what you're using in order to determine whether it's sacramental or simply an expression of beauty, lowercase beauty, then... Isn't it still on the earthly level because you're using your own personal experience to determine it?
2: No, because my experience is with something transcendental that's outside of me. So that part of it's transcendental. But I don't. You can't just ask me to make criteria. I've just been sitting here for wh- however many minutes, and then I didn't even know this question was coming. And then you're just like, boom! Tell me the difference between transcendental <laughs> and material beauty. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I just. I
2: didn't realize this was a hit piece. <laughs>
1: Because I think that I initially, and now I'm probably wrong, but I wouldn't have initially said that it could be truly beautiful and not be transcendent.
2: Well, see, but you added an adverb. Truly? Is that an adverb or an adjective? Has a Y. You added an adjective. You added a word, a modifier, (laughs) to beautiful that I didn't
1: add. Okay, but beautiful, if you're saying that it's beautiful... Then you're saying that it's truly beautiful. Like that's not a necessary oh, modifier. Oh, I, I am. Right, I'm necessarily
2: like, saying that. I mean, I guess. I mean, I'll accept it. Fine. But then I just back. I'll just backpedal and change my. Okay, then
1: my change it. Refine what, what you're right?
2: saying. I think that there are things that that only that only that only um, provoke every re- a response from the per- the viewer at this level, okay. the, the material level. Okay. And those things can still be aesthetically pleasing.
1: Oh, aesthetically pleasing. (sighs) Okay. Okay. But I would say, I agree with you if what you're saying, if you would add, if I can add this. When something is aesthetically pleasing, it is always of necessity inviting us into the transcendent we don't have to we don't have to say yes we don't have to participate in that invitation but there's always a sense of peace there's always a a longing for something more there's always a hint of the beauty that that is reminding us of that's asking us to move on and to move past that aesthetically pleasing thing that we've experienced. Yeah. So maybe it isn't actually sacramental in and of itself, but it, anything aesthetically pleasing, I think, is an invitation towards the sacramental.
2: Well, I th- okay. Here's the thing. I I'm I'm enough of a Platonist that when I think about like Plato's cave and the guys being freed from the cave, right? I'm enough of a Platonist that I think that truth, goodness, and beauty these three transcendentals that they are so, if I can personify them for a second, that they are so um, desirous Mm -hmm. to be known, that they make their way into everything. I don't think there's anything that doesn't have some part of truth in it. I don't think there's anything that doesn't have some part of goodness in it. Even my worst possible desires, are rooted in some sort of good desire.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
2: just mixed up, right?
1: Okay.
2: And and then the and then everything around us is beautiful. It, it, in some sense, has some some level of beauty mixed into it because beauty is like, want is, forcing herself into it to be through it to be known to be known to us. So, even the the shadowiest or or ugliest thing, has some sense of beauty in it. That provokes, can, can provoke, can invite me to an experience with, a fuller experience with beauty.
1: Okay.
2: And, um, and, then, and then in that case, that's when I'm like, if I'm in Plato's cave, that's when I'm trying to take off my chains. Or I'm looking for somebody to take off my chains, right? Yeah. But then there's another kind of beauty that is so, that it itself is so um, full of beauty, I mean, this particular incarnation of it is so full of beauty, so perhaps overflowing with beauty, that it comes into the cave and takes my chains off and grabs me and pulls me up out of the cave.
1: So you said there's another kind of beauty, but are you saying that in degree? Like a difference of degree? Right. There's
2: a manifest. There's these different manifestations. There's beauty itself up here, right? Yeah. And it's manifesting itself in this thing, and it's manifesting itself in this thing. This thing might be the manifest... The extent to which it's manifest in this thing is so minute that it that it like it like it, it whispers to me,
1: hey okay. I'm over
2: here, but this one over here is like grabbing me and pulling me toward it right toward the transcendental mm-hmm. so I mean in the end right, like everything should be in a in a contextualized setting because everything has the possibility of being beautiful and provoking me towards the, an experience with the beautiful an umbrella right but but there are certain things that it's like it's like i don't know its ability to do so is so powerful mm. that it becomes it, it, it becomes a compulsion to have the experience like i almost can't not have the experience
1: mm. so we we ought to put these things in their rightful place in their contextualized setting as you just phrased it partly because that Makes it a stronger reaction from us right. Partly for our experience But partly for the thing itself mm-hmm. Like to do it justice To treat it rightly yeah. We put it in its appropriate place
2: Yeah, I don't know that I was thinking that But yeah, I think that's absolutely right Like It it deserves to be there it, It's honoring it
1: mm-hmm. It's maker mm-hmm. Itself mm-hmm.
2: It's, it's The experiences that it's had in the past With other audiences
1: Mm-hmm we get rid of all museums, except for...
2: Science museums, <laughs> industry museums,
1: museums, dinosaur museums, you have dinosaurs.
2: to keep dinosaur museums for all the little kids.
1: So this would be super easy to enact. Just go through and real quickly, just separate out, these are the transcendental, these are the sacramental, these are the non-sacramental. Easy peasy.
2: It's true. No problem. I, and I mean, I can think of at least two people. I can think of only two people that I trust to do that job, so... When do we start?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and this is the real reason Cersei doesn't have a museum. <laughs> so please don't come here. We hate them. <laughs> I
2: mean, we have a love-hate relationship with them. That's right.
1: Unless you count old books, we have an ever-growing library. Although it's not growing very quickly.
2: And it's not, something we're working on. They're not that old either. I mean, there's some that are kind of yeah. old. But yeah, they're not that great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Matt. It's been a good chat. Thanks, Katarina. Have we come around to the full circle? Yeah. I feel like we well, did. I feel like that's fun. I feel like we, we agree now. Well, thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again.
0: Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. Join us next week for another conversation, and be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network.